listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I had someone ask me if I could give him a quote about the ego. Just give me a quote. But just give me a quote about the, something. And I said, uh, yeah, as far as the ego is concerned, it's much more interested in misery than the mystery. It would rather be in misery than actually open itself to the mystery, the not knowing, the uncertainty. And I don't know how the guy took it, but uh, I, think it's, I think it's a very powerful reminder of the way practice ends up kind of working. If we can really, really begin to presence ourselves by being still. If we can orient a life around the infinitely stable openness of stillness, then we can't really build a house of cards. Houses of cards or flimsy uh, lives tend to um, tend to get you know blown over by the you know the winds of of change. Not only that, but also the uh, you know the lives that are in that space of uh, in a deeply egoic orientation are all about gaining praise and avoiding blame. Uh, they're they're uh, in the that space, the tilt, the continual tilt of greed or aversion. They're in past or future, right? But once once we kind of orient a life around stillness, and whether we start our day with it or we uh, you know just can find you know find a chunk of time and really remain committed to finding that chunk of time, making that chunk of time happen every day when there is a space for us to just be quiet and to just observe what's going on in the mind, to just observe what's going on in the body. If we can do that, what we do is we make something. We make, we make ourselves available to what's beyond this or that right or wrong, yes or no, what's beyond the dualism of ordinary life. We suddenly expand past that. And the cool thing is that despite the fact that we we expand past that, we can bring that realization back into where we always 
always already are. Here, now. We're always here, we're always now. We become present in the present. And when we can do that, it's as if the bottom falls out and the roof flies off and there's nothing there to protect us. We are divinely naked. And yet there's nothing to fear. There's no judgment. There's no evaluation. There's nothing that we need to do. It kind of takes care of itself at that point. The universe has not only been allowed in, it's been invited in. And now, what do we do? We practice embodying this invitation or the acceptance of this invitation, I should say, as we live in the world. And this does not mean that there aren't going to be challenges. After all, the realization must be tested and retested and retested all the time. Last night I was at dinner with uh, my wife and my two kids, family, some extended family, we were all there. And uh, my uh, one and a half year old has decided that um, quite consciously, because I had a discussion with her about it, that there will be no way in hell, Dad, I'm going to sit still if we have all this marvelous stimulation around. Instead, Dad, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you chase me around the restaurant. Maybe I'll only trip two waiters. <laughs> and you know, the preciousness of that wears off. I'm just saying, you know. Um, and what a great, what a great offering. What a great, uh, literally, what a, what a great test, you know. How open was I to that um, behavior? Not very. And then it got worse as my three-year-old decided to climb up on the windowsill and scream. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and now before any of you think that like we're feeding our kids like chocolate and candy or anything, this just happened to be this amazing convergence of no naps uh, and uh, amazing excitement and just, it, 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 it's funny now, but in the moment, god damn. <laughs> and so we practice. We practice. My car ride home was really interesting. It was just breathing in. I'm all here. Breathing out, there's total acceptance. Breathing in, I'm all here. Breathing out, there's total acceptance. Now, of course, by the time they got home, they were both zonked. So it was easy for me to accept that, uh, the fact that they were completely asleep. but. Um, all of us get tested. I shared this with you before, how the Dalai Lama was asked at, uh, I was at a, a teaching that he was offering on the Heart Sutra. It was, it's actually a couple Sangha members and um, about 15,000 of his closest friends <laughs> down at Shoreline. And, uh, you know, do you ever get angry? I thought it was such a cool question to ask the Dalai Lama. Anyway, <laughs> you ever notice he sounds like Homer Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't. 
Um, <laughs> he said, he said, yes, yes, I lose my temper, but it doesn't stick. And boy, I mean, that, that's one of the great yardsticks of practice is you realize that anything that comes up, be it, you know, desire, obsession. Obsession's like a really good one. If anybody's got like obsession going on in their life, um, because it puts you right in touch with our core, okay? You look at obsession, you look at desire, okay? That's like the fiery spice of life. It is so beautiful. But when it takes us over, when we cannot, when we can't find our bearings within it, it veils awakening from our sight. And the behaviors that follow that can be really destructive. You know, same thing with like hardening towards doubt. You know, that is not true. Well, that's the same thing saying that is true. A kid sometimes, you know, the one thing I'm absolutely 100% convinced of is that certitude is bad. <laughs> you know, that certitude, uh, certitude will, will, you know, it blows us out, whether it's one direction or another, if we're certain. But if we can commit to living lives that don't harm self or other, that don't compromise us, that don't compromise what's sacred in us, that don't compromise this great expanse that's past this level of craving, past this level of mind, past this dualistic level of this or that, yes, no, future, past, yeah. So the stillness puts us there because what is there? What is in abundance in that spaciousness? Stillness. We physicalize it. We begin to watch our minds. We begin to watch our bodies. That watcher, we suddenly realize, oh my God, the watcher is utterly and completely still. The witnessing awareness that we have can only exist in effulgence in the present moment. So when we sit, like tonight, I mean, if you want to use some technique, that's fine. But I think what's really most powerful is if you just sit still and begin to watch with a non-judgmental mind, what's happening? And let it go. Forgive it. Surrender it, whatever it is. It's guilt. <laughs> it's obsession. It's a sense of lack. It's a sense of being too much. Whatever the sense is, Just be right there with it. So can we be comfortable with the mystery? Can we be comfortable with not knowing? Can we uh, begin to recognize the celebratory nature of this experience called life, begin to dance, but we do it really consciously. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't have to work at the steps as much as we just have to be right there for whatever is being offered. 
just like the galaxies don't work at their spin. The flowers don't work at growing. That line Christ offers, you know, look at the lilies. They neither toil nor spin. I love that line. Can we actually be that way? Can we actually get out of our way? And the way this can occur most readily, at least this technology, this meditative technology that was offered several years ago, a couple thousand years ago, actually started putting people into states. We have the early um, yogis who realized that through denial of body um, and strict, strict meditative practices and so forth, that they could reach these states. Same is true for any of us in here. We could reach states. We could use, in other words, meditation as a, uh, as a drug. We could use it to get to various levels of bliss. But these bliss states, like all states, including depressed states or any other type, they are temporary. They're born in time. And as such, anything that is born out of this great source of stillness into the movement of time will eventually die. Anything that is born eventually dies. So these states of bliss that we may find as we sit still become very mysterious, become very alluring, become very seductive. Oftentimes beginners, especially in meditative work, run into these cool experiences where it's like, oh, okay, that was good. They get kind of hooked into the practice and then, as I've said before many times, spend years on this plateau trying to get back to a certain flow state that they felt that they were in. And this tends to kind of chew us up on the path. We get very frustrated. This work ain't easy. And people will usually kind of get into it, they get enthused about it, and then they start realizing, you know what this is pointing to? This is pointing toward something called infinite peace. And if there's one thing my ego is not going to be able to handle, it's total, complete, and utter satisfaction. Um, they start seeing it. They start recognizing that the only way that, uh, that this, this peace will be allowed in is if ego itself steps away. The small self steps away. What's left? Well, if the small, if people stick with it, if they start the process and then keep going, and let's assume that the teaching is good, that the teacher is good, that the spiritual friends actually nourish and support kind of a, a you know, tender, loving uh, embrace, what we start to see is uh, beings awaken to something that's really magical. It's not a state that they awaken to. It's that these states begin to reveal the opportunity for traits to anchor an existence. 
we start getting to this place where instead of being caught by thought, we watch it. And in the watching of thought, we can choose what to do. In the watching of body, we can begin to choose that we start realizing, my God, this is all about choice. But the choices at my fingertips now have suddenly grown exponentially. There is infinite possibility, no matter what the tragedy, infinite opportunity, no matter what is going on. And the best way to take advantage of these opportunities is to recognize um, what exactly the ego is doing, what our small self is doing, what our separate selves, and the, that in us which feels like uh, stuff is out there and it's threatening, okay? But if I get this, everything will be fine, okay? It's the grasper, the avoider. It's the mover. It's a shaker. <laughs> it is. It's a mover and a shaker. That's exactly what ego is. Ego, ego moves, and it goes after anything that moves. That which is still freaks it out. It can't handle. It can't handle stillness. Okay? And yet any of us in this room can begin to physically occupy this very still space. Some of you may, may have even experienced kind of dropping in mind-wise where there's a still mind, a gap between these thoughts, and a gap between and among feelings. And there's just kind of this, uh, oh, a relaxation. And in that relaxation, in that state, is this opportunity for trait. And that trait is one of wisdom. It's acting from a place consciously that isn't about gain or loss. It's not about trying to satisfy some itch. It's about trying to be absolutely, totally here and then choosing in ways that neither harm me and what is sacred in me, nor what is sacred in them. It doesn't play into unconsciousness. So I wanted to kind of go through what some of the really obvious moves are for our egoic selves and just kind of, kind of check these and see where they land with you um, because they're great things to practice with during the uh, week. Well, actually, this is homework for the rest of your lives. So, uh, but, but the uh, uh, checking in to the moves that you see arising actually helps you familiarize yourself with the very things that veil realization, um, not only states, but traits, really, from manifesting through you, from actually showing up in you as a being. The first one is, um, the idea that there's a problem. I hate to say it, but there are no problems. There are situations, there are circumstances, but there are no problems to the big self. Small self, 
there are lots of problems. In fact, I got a problem with what you just said, McAllister. <laughs> you and your shiny bald head. <laughs> By the way, I like the beard better. <laughs> All that gray. <laughs> the, uh, the real kicker for that one was, uh, no more kisses, Daddy. <laughs> oh, really? No. You're scritchy. <laughs> You're scritchy. But there's a problem. Is there a problem? There's no problem. There's a situation that the mind has then created a story about. And the story has a negative energetic valence, therefore it's a problem. And this keeps the ego in charge. Just front and center. It's, it's got the wheel. The next one is, I need to change something about me. Now, whether it's, I think I'll get this tattoo on my face, or it's, I think I'll get a new wardrobe, or I think I'm going to add some more degrees to my name, or I think, what is the change? The, I need to change something about me, or something needs to be changed about me. Now, you might say, well, nice, because I am here in this room sitting in meditation and then listening to this, you know, uh, uh, talk so that I can change some stuff about me. That's all good. That's all fine. And it's fine to change stuff about yourself. Okay? That's fine. But the impulse that got you here to change, okay, is going to reveal something that's always been changeless within you. And when that kind of hits, when that realization hits, that there's nothing that really needs to be modified or fixed, I'm just fine. Suddenly the Fred Rogers moment happens. You realize, I'm fine just the way I am. I don't have to do anything to please anybody else in order to have validity. I don't have to do anything to please myself in order to have validity. I've got absolute validity as I am. And my participation in this world with others and with myself, if it's conscious, will only serve to expand that consciousness, that gift. Put another way, um, this practice will not change who you are. This practice, if it's working, will allow you to become more of what you always have been underneath all the stuff. Next move that ego, ego's really into. I need to understand. I love that verb, understand. It's, uh, it's like it epitomizes delusion. Because it's as if there's something to stand on. It's an idea, I understand. Well, actually we do need to have some type of understanding, but it's merely part of the seduction. Uh, you get it? Yeah, come on, all right? 
Seduction meaning that when we start understanding a little bit, what happens is we get these little, little breakthroughs we call learning. Not always comfortable, but they're always available. Pop, ah, okay. Pop, ah, okay. But then when we start practicing more and more deeply, we start going from small self into this big self awareness, we start recognizing that this compulsion that we may have to know, to get, is really another way of saying, I need to attach in order to be free. And that will destroy the, I shouldn't say destroy, it'll inhibit the free flow of, uh, of this experience, of this path, of our walk on the path, or of this flow down the stream, whichever metaphor you like. Trying to understand something is, is, is in essence the mind's um, attempt at kind of managing this major psycho-spiritual evolutionary experience. And rather than understanding, just let it, let it pour over you. Dixie cup by Dixie cup, you know, just Dharma, 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 spiritual teaching, spiritual teaching. And it, it does soak through. It does actually begin to um, it does begin to wash away the very stuff that we don't need. Uh, Lastly, as far as like these egoic moves are concerned, is this tendency to think that we need more of something, or we need less of something. Fact is, you're getting exactly the right amount of everything to help you realize liberation in this moment. Nothing else is needed. It's all right here. You don't need, I mean, I guess the only thing you really could, could use, all of us, is more time on the cushion. <laughs> but all that does is it just repeatedly shows you, you don't need anything else. I love the, the line, um, meditation is designed to fail meaning that meditation is designed to prove to us once and for all that you cannot get any closer to God than you already are. You keep sitting, you keep sitting, you keep sitting. No, I'll get it. I'll keep sitting, keep sitting. No, this will happen. I have faith. Yeah, this is, I'm pissed now, but still, I'll keep sitting. I'll keep sitting. I hate this. I keep sitting, I keep sitting. And then pop. Oh, oh my God. Literally. My God, everybody's God. It's all right here. Great. Now we get to work on embodying this peace and moving in the world, making sure that every single decision we make is a celebration of what is sacred in us and others. That we're not about diminishing anything. That we're not about avoiding anything. The avoidance patterns that we take on typically are exactly what help us diminish things.
you're in pain, you're in discomfort, you're in unease, what do we tend to do? Go for that. And instead, there's a pause now. I'm not feeling right. This doesn't feel right. Okay, wow. Huh, you know, I don't have to do that. That's going to hurt. That's going to that's going to keep me small. Thanks. The universe just gave you this beautiful teaching, this beautiful offering. So, being comfortable with the mystery um, is the work. Knowing that there are really aren't a lot of answers, but that there are lots of questions. And that the questions themselves, actually beginning to allow those questions to kind of arise in us, are actually far more beneficial than trying to find answers seeking answers. And the practice, as much as I know I, I run this uh, risk of kind of making this stuff overly esoteric a lot of the time, it's really easy. Um, it's hard work, but it's, it's easy stuff to do. You just got to want it. You really have to want it. And you have to be fearless. You have to be, you have to want consciousness and its evolution more than pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure. I'm a big fan of pleasure, just so everybody knows. Okay? But when consciousness, as opposed to pleasure, as opposed to feeling good, whether it's fleeting or it's, it's even lasting, okay? When consciousness becomes our focus, everything else kind of falls into place effortlessly. When we start seeing that true relationship, for instance, true relationship arises out of this offering and this commitment to helping whoever you're in relationship with evolve more consciously as opposed to whichever relationship you're, you're in. Instead of it being about something that you need, the top flies off and the bottom falls out and the walls drop. And what's left? Just this divine exposure of big self to big self. And there's no war there, just mystery. There's no misery there. Just opening, just love. Another way I could have asked the question was, which one of those four egoic moves do you find is most, uh, resonates with, with you most? You know, 
Um, but what you cling, if you can explore that, what you, what you cling is what's actually helping you avoid the offering of the infinite. Our clinging is actually what, what helps insulate us and, and, if you will, guard us from the mystery. And it doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, it doesn't, not, there isn't anything that's really, I mean, none of this is bad. The ego is not bad. It's just a partial expression of a much deeper whole. And the work helps us recognize this much deeper experience. Just like um, I sometimes talked about, one of my favorite hikes is the uh, uh, Pacific Trail uh, by, um, if you go down, down to Muir Beach and you climb up, climb up the uh, uh, hill to the south, there's this beautiful trail. And it happens almost every single time. I'll be walking along and so forth, watching my feet, watching my feet. And then all of a sudden, it's like I look up and it's like, oh, my goodness. You know? And in a very similar way, that's what happens when we begin to, instead of cling, you know, make sure my feet are going in the right place, we begin to look up. Now, this does not mean ignore where your feet are going, because that's a whole other surprise. Um, <laughs> But you get the idea of trying to create a balance then between the recognition of what that view looks like that's big and the view that is small that helps you get through the day. Or whatever. <laughs> what came up? Anything? Any questions? Yes, ma'am? things were just something away from the present moment. And that all of a sudden it hit me. If if we stay in the present moment or if we meditate or whatever, all those things just sort of melt away. Yeah. It's like they're there, mm -hmm. but they become quasi-trivial. Yeah. 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 Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought was surprising a little bit was that we all said the same Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And so the sharing that occurred in your particular group, uh, the question, once again, was what are you clinging to? And you found that you were all basically clinging to the same thing. Was that the question? Crave. Crave? crave. 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 Well, is there a difference between crave and cling? For some reason, I didn't hear it that way. Okay. You know, I heard it as what's most important to you. Yeah, and that, you know what, that actually would have been, you, you, there's no way you could have screwed this up, actually. <laughs> you know, everybody's looking, wait, 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 what was the, you know, but, but really, can you, can you actually hear, listen to, and see another being fully? Because that's, that's where self starts to drop away, you know? And so... I mean, I do, I think, a fairly mediocre to bad job of giving you guys, like, question prompts. I'm just not very good at that. But um, what it sounded like is I was just trying to direct my attention to various conversations that they were just beautiful. 
the stuff that was. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Judy, I'm sorry. Did I? Well, what was? I've been obsessing. You, you gave us four ego things. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember what the first one was. Well, let's see. Let's let's cons <laughs> let's go back to the videotape. Um, <laughs> ah, yes. There's a problem. That's the first one. There's a problem. It's um, uh, ugly stepbrother is, there's no problem, damn it, right, with me. Okay, but there's a problem. There's a problem. The second one then is we need to change something. Third one is we need to understand. And the fourth is we need more of something. Philip, you had your hand up. Or did I step on you there? I'm no, sorry. That's good. You're good? Are you sure? I just had those clarifications. Yeah. Yeah? Well, I let go of the You let go of the question? It was more of the ego. When you said grasping and clinging, clinging mm. means I felt that you already have it and you don't want to let go of it. Grasping is you're going after it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I think, yeah, once an end point, perhaps. Same egoic move, though. It's a move. And when we're not moving, really not moving, an embodied stillness, uh, that's, that, that's a consciousness cannot help but awaken in that moment. String the moments together appropriately, and what do you have? You have an awakened participation in the world. And an awakened participation in the world is a gift, not only to self but to other equally. We start seeing that self and other begin to drop away as... Uh, Sue was saying, kind of, they become trivial. Still got to work with them. You know, there is still self and there is still other, but ultimately we are in the midst of this very conscious flow where all things are possible. Except putting a Cadillac up your nose. Not possible. I, I had a kid tell me that. I was, I was off on some, you know, look at, you guys, anything is possible. Can't put a Cadillac up your nose. It's like, shut the fuck <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you can. Anything is possible. Yeah. Didn't mean to diminish that moment there, but. Uh, yeah. So you said to talk about craving. Mm. Craving seems to be, just plays into all those things because uh, usually whatever you call it, craving is something that you recognize isn't. Uh, I thought that. Yeah. Thought that it's a, it was at the core of each of those four qualities. Right. I yeah. The craving. So maybe I did ask the right question. It's kind of, you know, you, you crave chocolate. Mm-hmm. And it's a guilty pleasure. But actually, the other two people I talked to had more positive spins on what they said were their cravings. Yeah, interesting. But, uh, but the way I took it, it's, it's all that yeah. stuff. I think that's accurate. I think the, the, the ego's moves are incredibly simple. They're either forward or back, towards or away from. Even a sidestep, what is it? And the way I mean craving 
it's it's both. Because yeah. It's pulling you toward this and then making you feel repelling yourself. Exactly right. I crave this. I crave something other than this. And I feel guilty about it. Yeah. Oh, and now the guilt is arising. Yeah. Exactly. Which is just anger directed inward. Yeah. Tonight had a really interesting feel to it. I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. It's just a real interesting energetic feel to it. And I just thank you all so much for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.